0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's the True Faith in the Castle United podcast end of season review, season 1920. What a season it's been! Season none of us saw coming. Pandemics, games behind closed doors, and Steve Bruce's Newcastle United progressing their way up the table (laughs) to the same position they finished last season with less points. You've got (laughs) Alex Hurst, that's me, you've got Charlotte Robson, Norman Riley, and Michael Carling, and on today's show, we're going to get right into it. What's been good? What's been bad? Who's played well? The big games, the games were played well, in, if we can think of any, Uh, what went right, what went wrong, and all of that, uh, so first of all, we're going to drive straight into this, but I have to tell listeners, we'll have a brand new edition of the True Faith Fanzine Issue 149 out now, Cost £2.50 for the paper copy plus postage we post all around the world, we do a digital copy for £1.50, it's written by people like you, normally Castle fans, for people like you, and with our in-store sales affected a little bit because of the pandemic, it would be absolutely belting if people would give it a go if you haven't already. But we'll leave that there, and I'm going to kick off, and Charlotte, I'm going to come to you first, really quick one, first question. Mm. How has it been for you this season? How are you feeling right now, now it's all over?
2: How am I feeling? I'm so happy that it's over. Um, I feel really tired, and it might be because I'm cycling to and from work every day, but it also might be because we had this sort of mad squash of games, and um, at first... I mean I'm I'm focusing specifically on the end bit here because it's so recently finished. Um but yeah, sort of at first it was like this burst of energy, we've we've come back from the, this sort of enforced break, and then and then it was just like burnout quite quickly. And um and that's how it feels felt to have watched the games as well. So generally I'm quite happy it's finished. Um in terms of how we've done, I said this um, recently that we have exceeded my expectations, but that my expectations were extremely low. Um, I expected us to be in a relegation battle this um, season, um, if not very certainly going down. And obviously that's not been the case. So um, I suppose expectations exceeded, but in, in a lot of ways, it's been it's been horrible as well to watch some awful performances, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, so my general feeling right now that it's over is relief, mostly.
3: I think my overriding emotion now is is apathy. Um, Newcastle United have become once again the uh, the the absolute the absolute Mike Ashley football club, haven't we? We're, we're running into a summer in terrible form. With very little to shout about, very little to get excited about, you have to assume that the same mistakes are going to be made with the recruitment process, and we have a manager that isn't capable of bailing us out anymore. So it's just apathy, and I, I, I'm almost, I'm almost dreading next season because it's going to be shit. Yeah,
1: someone um, tweeted either me or the podcast um, account saying they're already bored of next season, uh, which I <laughs> thought was quite funny. Um, Norman, you know, you you podcast maybe more than anyone about Newcastle United from True Faith on our patron platform Uh, you know your workload is probably going to drop off maybe because of it is it a relief not that we haven't analysed Newcastle United as much for a month
4: a relief in the sense that there isn't much to analyse anymore is there you know it got to the stage where I think we admitted ourselves a lot of the conversations we were having post game and pre game you know previews on the patron the reviews that went free a lot of it was repetition because there the wasn't much to talk about um, and that's indicative of the, of the whole season there's there's been loads happening off the pitch but on the pitch there's been very little substance and it's it, it's just felt like a season where you know I've complained a lot but then at the same time that, that at least when you're complaining you're feeling something that during this lockdown it, it's gone beyond that too I think Mick said apathy there I would say ambivalence Um, how was it the last game that had fans uh, which was the 1-0 win away to Southampton and look I had a brilliant day out down there um, with some good mates Newcastle won but ultimately that three month period that there wasn't any football uh, I didn't miss it I didn't miss Newcastle United I didn't miss supporting Newcastle during that period Um, I missed football to a certain extent and when football came back I was really glad to see some some action but at the same time I can't say that I was necessarily buzzing to watch Newcastle it was um, very much a feeling of well this is it and I think what it reminded me of was a lot of the kind of spells under you. Obviously living living in London, it's quite easy to disengage when when Newcastle aren't performing particularly well or when, you know, the, the future looks a bit bleak and that and that's what that's the stage where it seems to be that, that we seem to be at, at the moment. And and i and I feel myself gradually kind of disengaging and and starting to think of of the Newcastle of the past. And obviously I've had the the great fortune of being able to do the podcast with Keith Gillespie and and that's been really interesting. That's what's kinda of kept me engaged. But as Newcastle in its current incarnation, um, yeah, it's, as Mickey says, I think sorry, well as Mickey said, apathetic, but also that, that tweet who said uh, I'm already bored of of next season. That's just a brilliant way of a brilliant way of summing up my feelings right now. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, and I suppose my feelings aren't aren't dissimilar. I think lockdown football has you know has to come into it quite a lot. I thought it was a dreadful, soulless experience. Once we really got into the swing of it, and next season is going to kick off the same. Another stuff out today saying fans from the 1st of October, um, who knows how that's going to work, we'll worry about that close at the time. To me, it's just, it's just a real missed opportunity this season, and I, I'm, I'm going to try and analyse what has happened this season over what has been said, because what happens is ultimately more important than what than what is said. The, the, the two are are linked, and this is a season where Sheffield United and Burnley are finishing the top 10, where Arsenal um, and Wolves both failed to get the sixty points. Where Spurs failed to get the sixty points, and if you terms of, in in terms of progression, and you know we can go back to the manager talking about progress and moving us forwards and all that kind of stuff. What an opportunity this season! There's so many clubs had so many mares. You know, I mean, Steve Bruce referenced Everton a few weeks ago and, and said, you know, the the money they've spent, but there's a reason to keep sacking managers, and there's, there's a reason that they're a bit shit. And and it was a real opportunity to finish above. A team like Everton, I know, I know we've, we've won the on Southampton Class Cup and we've finished two places behind them cup this season. But <laughs> Southampton are a poor side; they, they, they've progressed and got a good manager. But this this is a side who got beat nine 0 early this season and who we took six points off. So, you know, spare me the three three cheers for Southampton. I just think it's a it's a wasted opportunity, and it was a real opportunity this season to kick on from last season. All of the foundations were there. I know we spoke with Luke Edwards in the pod and we talked about losing um, Rondon and Perez. You know, Isaac Perez is a good player, did did well for Newcastle, but wasn't a guaranteed pick in a lot of Newcastle fans starting eleven, I don't think, certainly at the start of last season. uh, Salomon Rondon did well, got 10 Premier League goals, 10 assists, I think, as well. These aren't the kind of stats that if you take out of a football team, relegate them or anything like that. At the end of the day, we're we're rocked up this season with a £40 million striker with a new manager with a, with a new winger in St Maximan and and we've we've competed in one of the worst Premier Leagues that I've I've known as a fan and we've really not kicked on and 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 that's a massive disappointment and that feeds into what to what you were saying there Norman that it just feels like it did before 2016 it just feels John Carver Alan Pardew Steve McLaren to an extent in terms of the beatings we've been taking and the hammerings we've taken and the kind of the strength of the performances it just feels that we haven't even managed to stand still, although the the, the league table would, would suggest that we'll have stand still. It feels like we've moved backwards. And Norman, I think um, you, you might agree or disagree with me, but you actually were quite vocal at the time about this. You've kind of not just rumbled it since the appointment of Steve Bruce, but if, if we go back right to the start of the season, we, we have a bizarre opening day against Arsenal, a boycott that didn't really materialise Um you know, a very, very poor Arsenal side came and, and won 1-0 thanks to a an error that seemingly led, not for the first time this season, from a mental substitution that, that went badly wrong. And we'll go to Norwich the next week and, you know, there was a lot of expectation, there was a lot of hope, and particularly how Norwich have got on this season in terms of going down on 21 points, whatever they've got. This was a turning point for you, was it not?
4: Oh, I mean, a turning point to a certain extent, but almost an unfortunate validation of how I felt when Bruce was announced as manager. And the thing is, everything... Everything I'm going to say will sound like I'm, I'm kind of anti-Steve Bruce and criticising Steve Bruce. It's not, it, it's not like a dislike for him as, as, a, as a person or a manager. It's just that his record, when we appointed him, suggested that this is what we were going to get. It suggested we were going to struggle. Now, yes, there's an argument we didn't struggle because we never really the relegations one. But in terms of the type of football we we're going to get and what it actually meant for the future of the club, we knew it was going to. It was. It was. A, it was a complete not lack of ambition, and it was going to be. You know, it was going to mean that ultimately, whether it would be that. You know, the season we've just had or the season after, we were going up a down a trajectory, and we were on an upward trajectory, in Rafa. That's what I felt. So going to Norwich, you know, we start the game with Arsenal, and I think in the, the preview for the Arsenal match, I predicted a three one win in Newcastle. I thought, you know what? Maybe I'm being over negative. Yeah, we've still got the same kind of most the same players. We've got the, the basis of a, of a solid defence there. Maybe we'll get something. If he gets the right start, then who knows? You know, maybe I just need to, to give him a chance. But you know, the, that nagging voice inside of me of, well, this is a man who was sacked from Aston Villa when they were in 15th, I think. Um, that hadn't won for nine games. He was at a mid table chef wed. He hadn't really had any success in the Premier League for a long time. And even prior to that, his success in, in the Premier League was, you know, in context, he basically finished mid table a couple of times, never really scored many goals. And it just felt like this was a huge, huge backward step. Um, in that Norwich game, everything—I mean, I guess everything that I feared actually happened. It was encapsulated in that Nor- Norwich game. It was in, it's such a disjointed performance without any kind of tactical direction. And, and you know what? You know, people can throw criticisms at, criticisms at you for like for talking about tactics, but ultimately, the game in 2020, 2021, you know, wherever we are now, the game is tactical. It is micro managing. It is conditioning. You know, it's it is like eight or nine or ten coaching staff. And it's so different to what it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Yet I don't feel Steve Bruce has moved on. And that's not a criticism of him. It's just that you can't manage, I don't think, at a high level, a really high level, with without you know being a more modern manager. And, and that, that was me fear. In that Norwich game, it was like almost everything within that match highlighted what I've been feeling. And to be honest with you, regardless of some of the good results that we've had, it has actually been a struggle for me this season to to feel sympathy for um, for Bruce and to feel any kind of passion because I felt like that pre-season, a lot of the the hope and the passion that, that had built up in me had just been completely sucked out of us. And uh, the, the Norwich game was just, yeah, it was just, a, oh no, I've got a feeling this season's going to turn out to be awful. I was wrong in the sense that we have picked up a load of points, but the performances themselves, you know, we got beat 3-1 at Norwich. We have actually played just as bad as we did at Norwich on, on lots of occasions this season.
3: You're absolutely spot on, Norman. That's, that's, that's exactly what I thought as well in that Norwich game. It was like, over the summer, things just got worse and worse and worse. And then and then Rafa gets replaced by not, not even the best manager in Sheffield. And you, you think, Christ, how, like, how how bad can this go for Newcastle here? Like How, how far down the table are we going to plummet? And then we'll go to Norwich, who've just come up and spent nothing. Remember, Norwich were the only one of the teams that came up that spent no money in the transfer window, that didn't, didn't build on their team, and they're absolutely mulled us. It's easy to forget because it was so long ago. Now you know, pre-lockdown, start of the season, middle of, middle of last year. It's, it's you know, virtually a full year ago. But we were terrible that day. Norwich, Norwich, absolutely played yeah. us off the park. It looked like it looked like you know what, what you would expect from, from a, a Division One team against Man City. You know, we could we couldn't get close to them and I, I, after that game i was like jesus christ we, like we are going to get relegated this season you know, for sure like that that performance was one of the worst we'd had for ages and it was because it wasn't just how bad the performance was but because because of bruce and how how poorly he took that game you know the the formation the subs the, the lineup, the the style of play everything was so far away an organisation in particular was so far away from what we'd had just a few short months before you just thought like all of the hard work, like three three years of building this def- solid defensive, tactical, like micromanaged, clever football team that was was far greater than the sum of its parts had just been undone completely and like chucked in the fucking sea.
1: Chucked in the sea, or or the river. The river that runs by Norwich the, the Norfolk Broads. Norfolk Broads.
3: Beautiful yeah. place to go and watch football, by the way. In Norwich, you, you can go have a pint out by the river, it's a genuinely glorious experience, especially in the summer.
1: Mike Crean, friend of the show and who does Prem Pata, won't be happy with us. I'll, I'll have to <laughs> calm him down. Contract talks after this, big Ipswich fan <laughs> and hater of Suff- uh, not Norfolk. not Suffolk, <laughs> Suffolk. Yeah, that, hard to disagree with what Annie said then. I think that Norwich game was emblematic, but for two reasons. And Norman, you hit the nail on the head. Number one, it's like, right, this is us, this is kind of our level, the chaos, the different formations during the game, the countless opportunities for the opposition. But also, it, it just didn't happen, did it? it? We picked up points, we picked up wins. I think we were last in the relegation zone after game eight uh, this season. And last season, it was game 22. Not that we were in the relegation zone loads last season. But, you know, it it has been progress in, in one sense that, you know, we've, we've, the last two seasons have very much been in and around the rele- relegation picture until, what, February, March? Whereas this season, kind of from October onwards, it, it just hasn't been like that. But one of the other key metrics of the season that is so interesting to talk about this now, um, and that was before the season, kind of everyone talked about it. Steve Brooks talked about it. Mainstream media talked about it. We talked about it. Was a cup run and how important that was. And it's just so bizarre now, considering what happened. We're going to get into it right now to think how important it was and then how little it seems to have achieved Charlotte. I know, know, Charlotte, this is something you were really keen to get into, the FA Cup run in the context of of, of the season. Yeah,
2: yeah, and in the context of Steve Bruce as well, because it's interesting, Alex, that you said earlier on at the beginning sort of what's been said and then what actually happens and the total disparity between that across the season um, and, you know, across... um, (laughs) Yeah, across the cup run. So um, Steve Bruce, I mean, said when he was appointed that he was going to make a cup run a priority, that he was um, really keen. He said if Hull, because Hull, he got Hull to the FA Cup final in 2014, said if they can, why can't Newcastle? So pitching us right there with Hull, just where we want to be. Um, and, and you know, he he was talking about it and and on paper, I mean, we did. We got to the quarterfinals. First time since 2006 when we lost to Chelsea. But then if you actually dig, like, scratch the surface, even a tiny little bit, we had two replays against Oxford and Rochdale, both League One sides. Um, the only sides, by the way, that I saw Joe Linton look sort of comfortable against um, during this season, Um we, we, th- there were some in, like, sort of insane choices. I think, I think it was at Rochdale bringing Almiron off, which is what sort of lost us the game. Um, you know, our our key players who are running the game, bringing them off with with too much time. I mean, didn't need to come off at all. Too much time to spare. Um, giving you know, giving the opposition an in, and that happened more than once. I think that happened against Oxford as well. And then, um, and then West Brom, where which was actually the last football game we went to, Alex, before the world went mad. Um, I think um, that was a a pretty like comfortable lead. That was a, an amazing, um, amazing evening, and, and and almost thrown away. And it's sort of this like, yeah, we're going to go in, we're going to put our strongest side out, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and then and then that doesn't materialize. So you know, you talk about putting out our strongest side, and then let's bring it to Man City for the quarterfinal. Um, didn't didn't even play Dubravka. Dubravka didn't even. He was a sub, it didn't even get subbed on. Like that's that's just completely at odds with what's being said. Um, and then and then obviously we you know we, we you know knocked out by Man City at the quarterfinal stage. Um, Two nil at St James's Park. No home advantage because it's behind closed doors. Because it's all very weird, and it's just sort of like that whole that whole sort of you know let's give this a good go. We'll do it. We you know um, sort of di- dissolved and disappeared. And 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 Steve Bruce's sort of comments after that were you know. Uh, I thought we were too passive uh you know we we surrendered the ball like well mm-hmm. yeah you're the manager make some make some changes um but, you know i think I think the cup run for me particularly showed up um steve bruce's total and I, again don't want to just lay in Steve Bruce, but like this lack of in game management, this, you know, this l- lack of like clarity on why choices are made and this total um, feeling of of at odds with what's being said in the press around around it. So that's kind of the the point I wanted to make about it.
4: I was at the Oxford United match away and you know we're we're tuning up goes into the last five minutes they pull a goal back to equalising injury time We get this winner with four minutes of extra time left and you'd think that would be one of those moments where it's just absolute scenes yet for me it wasn't it was it was almost like a meek celebration Um, because I think it, it was difficult even though we'd scored this winner with four minutes to go it was difficult not to on some level feel that we've had a two goal lead and we've blown it and we've had to wait for a, pu- a moment of magic from one of our best players to win it and it didn't feel like a moment that deserved like a a huge scenes celebration and that sounds really negative and kind of really really miserly but it's how I felt and I think it ties into the broader picture that regardless of the fact that we got to our first cup quarter-final since 2006 the problem was I never believed that we would do anything in the cup you know we got the quarter-finals like big ultimately big deal because we blew out when we came up against a tough opposition and we blew out convincingly and that was the thing I never believed it. If we got a team from the Premier League in the third round, the fourth round or the fifth round, I think we would have gone out at that stage. It was just merely by the look of the, literally by the look of the draw that we found ourselves in the quarter final, and even then we weren't convincing. So I never thought, oh, maybe this is our season. Whereas, you know, going back to 2006, I think it was under Glenn Glen Ruda, we played Chelsea and we put on a really good performance, lost 1-0. And at that, at that, during that stage in my life, during that stage in my Newcastle support, I, I, I believed we would have had a chance. I still thought the cup wouldn't get the cup. But after all those years and, and after the performances this season, I never had that belief. So I think going out to the Cup to Man City, it actually is, is horrible and sad as it sounds. It wasn't really a disappointment. Again, it just ties into that kind of ambivalence and expectation. Yeah, we got beat up Man City in the Cup. There it is. Cheers.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I think I think the, the miserly point that Norman made there what just a sort of throwaway comment more than a less than a point but it that that sort of I feel really miserly saying well I wasn't really excited about this I think that sort of typifies the whole season doesn't it because you know I've got friends at work who aren't Newcastle fans and they're like well what what are you complaining about like you finished 13th they're fine like you know you you got through the quarterfinal, you're fine it's like well no like that's not, it's not good enough. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think you should sell, or we should feel that um, that, it, that, that, that we should sell. I don't, I don't think we should feel that that is, that is okay. Um, it's not, you know, you always want to be striving for better. And I don't think that that has been a theme of our season. Quick one,
3: Norman, there's definitely one guy out there that would disagree with you about it not being a scene celebration.
4: Yeah, was it the guy who had the corner um, flag launched into his testicles area?
3: No, penis. no you're forgetting, man. The, the, it's way worse than that. It's a windmill, a windmill guy. I can't believe you forgotten. Oh about that. god,
4: I, I, I thought I thought I buried that a helicopter guy. Yeah, ASM. Guy. <laughs> he, he did
3: his like thank you, thank you everyone tweet for the for the season included. Just there was four pictures, and it was like three of him playing football. And then at the bottom, <laughs> the bottom corner was just a picture of a helicopter, and someone like someone tweeted underneath. What's with the helicopter? <laughs> and his reply was, it's the copter.
4: Can't believe we forgot about
3: the, the helicopter, man. That's just, yeah, like, he...
4: legitimately the, probably the highlight of the season. <laughs> I buried it in my subconscious, mate. Thank you for bringing it back. I'll close my, I'll close my eyes and I can see that, and it's, it's an image I never wanted to see again.
1: I To get it back on track a minute, um, I, I completely you, agree with Charlotte, and to extend a little bit on what you said, from a personal perspective, and I, I have a feeling we might all be the same on this podcast, but the there are fans out there, and I understand, who who are able to look beyond individual games or performance or, or reasons and, and really, really think about overall context away from individual games of football. So, you know, there are any Castle fans who think, you know what, we got to the quarter final of the FA Cup and I'm satisfied with that and it's not an unreasonable expectation. But when we talk about that FA Cup run, all I can remember is being annoyed you know, we got to, we got to Rochdale, me inside, drove to watch Rochdale. It's on the telly, but we'll go and we'll drive, we'll podcast. And it it's just like, it was one of those really decent winter mornings. Um, we had a couple of pints, and you know, Rochdale, small town, really kind of quirky ground. Hilarious that someone continued to play league games there. That was great. <laughs> um, their fans were really up for it. It was a something different. Robbie Savage was getting loads of grief from the Castle fans and getting dead precious about it. Um, and it was just one of them days where you were just like, lads, don't fuck up here. These are shite. We're playing my strongest team. Can we please just just not? It's just not what we need right now. And we went one a look, we played really well. And much like that West Brom game you alluded to, Charlotte, it's like at half time all that we needed to do was was react to the very slight tactical change that Rochdale made, bringing bring the big lad on and putting them on behind him. Um and we couldn't cope. We could, like the manager couldn't cope. The team couldn't cope. Uh, we had injuries during the game, but the substitutions made. And I was just we left the game early because it was it was one of those games. Me inside, I mean, the traffic would have been nightmare outside the ground, and we we're just like these deserve to beat us here to go one 0 down and to turn the game. and They should have won. They had they had they had two chances in the last five minutes that should have put the t- we should we should have been knocked out at Rochdale. And I know it's football and I know teams miss chances, but we should have been knocked out at Rochdale, um, and it wasn't good enough. And then we'll go. What Oxford next? And we'll play three centre backs. We're gonna talk tactics later. And really, again, you couldn't really argue that Oxford in that home game probably, probably shaded it. But these 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 are lads who are in League One. These aren't good football teams. And I know Oxford I think Oxford have just been promoted or they've lost in the, the final of the playoffs. Whatever. Then we'll go to West Brom. And you're right, shot. We'll play West Brom reserves. Me and you have a really good night. Um, not just me and you. There were five thousand other Newcastle fans there. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was very a very. Ridiculous. It was a party atmosphere. It was great. I really enjoyed it. it was, I mean, I was actually at the um, the big, the big one. I was at Wigan Luton three days after that, as we played Southampton. But it was. It was a good week, wasn't it? Because we we drew with Burnley at home. Yeah, no good. But then we got at West Brom, and it was just like we were hanging on against West Brom reserves. We were hanging on on the balance of play of the last twenty minutes, and the fact that the the team, the coaching staff, the players were so incapable of reacting to what West Brom. Had changed. They deserved to, to get a to get a draw. They hit the bar, you know. Darlow was pulling off saves, missing chances, and you know, <laughs> the Man City game was a disgrace. I don't care what anyone says. It was a cup game. All we had to do was was play a little bit more positively, get men up the pitch, and if we got beat, we got beat. We got beat five 0 off them a week, ten days later, and it could have been ten, and and that's it's not okay. But I can move past that. I won't be thinking about that in in a year or eight months' time. I'll be thinking because of the pandemic, like you say, Charlotte. We were robbed of a Saturday night St. James's Park, seven thirty kickoff. Um, you know, ten pound tickets. It would have been absolutely class, and we were robbed of that. And that's not Steve Bruce's fault and Cass United's fault. So we had to play them at home. It wasn't ideal, and um, we didn't even try to win the game. It, it, it's almost like the game against Liverpool the weekend. We kind of went into that game and two 0 was okay. We can move on, we can sleep easy, tonight. night was 2-0, no, they're good, they're better than us, what can we do? And that's that's the thing, and, and Norman, you absolutely nailed it. The whole point of the cup is it's supposed to be an escape from the league. Yet that performance against Man City feels the same. I felt the same watching it as it did against Liverpool in the league at the weekend, and that's not the point. And I've laboured the point a little bit now, maybe about the cup run. But I thought I thought you were all spot on there, particularly you, Charlotte, with that. And in terms of kind of you know, picking up feelings from games, and I'm I'm talking about anger here and frustration. There have been some good games this season. There has been some good results. And funnily enough, Charlotte, if we want to talk about positives, what, half an hour into the show now, <laughs> why don't we start with um, one of the weirdest games of football I'm sure you've ever <laughs> been at. I
2: called Wet January and I went I w- I went on my own. Um, I went up to Everton, took a half day from work, um, up to Liverpool. Um, didn't really know what to expect. Um, wasn't. I can't remember what was said in the... Um, in the preview that that uh time but I didn't really know what to expect apart from we've been patchy and we'd got we just it was just after that Christmas bit which I'm sure we'll talk about as well where you know we had that that smash of fixtures and 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 a load of injuries and uh and it was a bit of a nightmare um and um yeah I didn't yeah didn't know what to expect uh, Everton scored after 30 minutes um expected that sort of okay that's it then game over um we are gonna lose then um atmosphere was fine um you know people people getting quite angry people getting quite angry with the wooden seats in the stadium i remember that very vividly um and um and then uh and then calvert lewin scored um in the second half early on in the second half and we're sort of like okay well that's that then um um and you know we're kind of in it like it wasn't actually as it was a bit like oh I just kind of want this to be over by about 85 minutes and then um and then Florian Lejeune comes on in the in the six minutes of stoppage time I think they added um Lejeune comes on about halfway through that um which I didn't expect um you know, to make much of a difference. I can't remember who he replaced, but it was, um, it was a, a strange, um, it was a strange, um, substitution. I remember thinking that apologies, my doors go in there. Um, a strange substitution. Um, and, um, and he came on, yeah, for Kevin Clark, I think. And he came on and, and scored the first goal. And I had, I had the, um, that I was doing the match day podcast for our patrons. And I, and I, <laughs> And, and, and the atmosphere just picked up. And and then, you know, I said it on the podcast. I was like, oh, um, it'd be really funny if we score a game here. And we did, like with like 30 seconds to go or something. And I've never known an atmosphere like it. Like, uh, it, honestly, it felt like we'd won. It felt like we'd absolutely smashed Everton to pieces. Um, and that's definitely one of my highlights. We were talking about this in our group chat before we came on and did this podcast for you guys and you know was struggling to find positives and it's a really weird positive to take because it was just the strangest match the the final score was 2-2 so we got one one point but you know until 94 minutes or whatever it was it looked like we were getting no points it, was, it looked like it was just a sort of wasted trip t- up to Liverpool um so, yeah, so but I, I, I do think that sort of typifies our season a little bit, just these very, very random things. I mean, we've had so many goals scored by people who are not strikers on our, on our squad. So, yes, um, that was a, a strange and happy time. But I think um, emblematic, if that's the right word to use, of, of, a, of a strange and um, sort of season and just unpredictable I think you can probably hear that I'm smiling while I'm telling that story because it was so weird and just amazing. But yeah.
1: Very interesting and I I totally agree with you that it's weird, isn't it? Because I mean, I think doing the post-game podcast with you it was just it was just so funny. Like it it, it was it wasn't even like we'd achieved anything. Mm. It, it didn't have any relevance to league positions or yeah. you know, chasing this or chasing that. It was just funny. It was just it was it was just funny. It was Jordan Pickford, it was Scott it was, it was, it was humorous <laughs> and I'm, I'm jealous that you got to witness that. I mean, ultimately, Newcastle, once again, that game played shit, didn't get beat, like played really, 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 really bad, yeah. didn't get beat. Yeah,
2: that's, yeah, that's sort of a, another point that I didn't, I don't think I made there when I got overexcited about remembering it. Um, It, it was, it was bad. Like, I was very concerned and, and aware doing the Matchday <laughs> podcast that it was boring um, and that it was, you know, just a, a terrible, terrible twenty-five minutes. Listen, until the last, what was it, like six minutes? I just recorded the whole yeah. stoppage time. I think it was, it was so boring, and it was, a, you know, a, a bad, a bad game of football. And that has been the case. Well, it was,
1: it was four a points. The previous games. game was Chelsea when we scored the ninety-fourth minute with like our first shot of the game, <laughs> and then uh, it was like three goals at the time it was what half one. Season's goal total in in the ninetieth minute of games. Um, and Jordan Pickford try to save the ball behind the line, which just again, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe continue on this bit of positive G- Give us one of your best games of the season, mate. In this season review. Excuse me,
3: my favourite game of this season was um was was Sheffield United away for for a couple of different reasons. Uh, number one because because we were there, and we so win away from home, which is which is really uncommon. Obviously, uh, it was just a, it was just a, like a, a really like. A really satisfying away victory. I don't think I don't think we played particularly well, but we defended really well, and, and despite allowing them a lot of the ball and kind of a lot of half chances, they never really threatened the goal. Like, it was never like Dubravka had to make any any world class saves or or anything like that. They, they, they put us under a lot of pressure, but but it was never really it was never really in doubt. You know, almost as ridiculous as it is to say that about Newcastle United away performance. It was it was never really in doubt. The second thing that I really loved about that game was um, the Georgia Shelby goal. Obviously, um, the, the first experience that I've had at a match of, of VAR having a, having a real impact on a game, um, and just the kind of—I think it was about a, a minute or maybe 75, 80 seconds or something between um, between Shelby putting the ball in the net and them deciding that it was was a goal. Possibly even longer than that. It felt like about ten minutes, but the kind of the weird atmosphere in the in the away and between it going in and like the you know the the ironic cheer that everyone did when he scores, and then a few people dotted about and you know I, I like to think in hindsight that I'm one of these people, but I maybe I'm maybe I'm giving myself too much credit. Started to say there's a chance that this might get given here, and then the more people started to think about it, the more noise there was and the more excitement there was, and then it goes up on that stupid screen which is like up and left away behind us so you basically couldn't see it and we, we were on the bottom tier we're looking through a, a net to try and see the screen so we basically couldn't see it properly and then he realised it's gone in and you, you get to celebrate a goal when there's not a goal if you see what I mean and that, that was a really unique experience <laughs> and I, I really really enjoyed it um, the third thing about that that I really liked about that was it was kind of the emergence of St. Max as like the superman that he, that he later became because he scored like a magnificent header and people forget that this season, like say Maximan scored a header where he jumped about, jumped about nine feet off the ground to get there. Just something that I never thought he could possibly be capable of when he's such an, like such a quick and agile player. That's so skillful and, and so sharp. And, and, you know, his first yard of pace is so, so quick, but also like, he just out of nowhere jumped, jumped higher than like, I, I you know, exaggerating again, but like jumped higher than I've ever seen anyone jump in my whole life <laughs> to, to, to win that <laughs> and score, it was like,
2: just like, "What?
3: How? How has he done that?"
2: I, Never watched the Olympics, <laughs> basketball.
3: trip there. If he,
2: if he,
3: give him a pole to jump with there, and he's winning the gold medal pole vault. I promise you.
1: And they say, Mike Ashley Newcastle Castle will win. I <laughs> Um Mickey, yeah, I just, I just want to pick you. up. I think that was a really, a, a really good summation of that night that we had. Um at, You know, the start of that game, Martin Dubravka pulls off four world-class saves, and the game is over if, if one of them goes in. So, I, don't, I agree with you. Maybe after about the initial first 20 minutes or when we got the first goal, it was never really in doubt. But Martin Dubrovka that's gets mad of the match that night and gets it for a reason.
3: Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I meant. But you're, you're taking the shine off the game by saying
4: that
1: <laughs> you've ruined his only highlight from last season. <laughs> One of the, the, the best thing about that goal was, was Shelby's. Now, we obviously didn't see this in the away end, but it's Shelby, as soon as he puts it in, and the Sheffield United goalkeeper and Bench are kicking after him, and he just does that little point to his head, taps his head. Think on lads, think on. Um, like he yeah. knew he knew that was a goal, but he couldn't celebrate because it would have been ridiculous. Because people would, you know, would have been ridiculed if it'd been not given. But he, I, I feel that like he knew. Um, Norman, your your highlight of the season, um, game wise,
4: my highlight of the season was um, was Spurs away. <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, a week after the Norwich debacle, um. Now there's a few reasons. Uh, first one is that it was Spurs away, and I used to live in Tottenham, and it's an area that I've got loads of fondness for. And I think it was the first time I'd been back there uh, in ten years. Uh, obviously, because Spurs had been playing at Wembley for a few years, and I hadn't I hadn't been prior to that. Um, so that was nice. Found a really good bar. Went up there with Chris, had a few pints. It was and in, in, it was absolutely boiling. It was an August Bank Holiday weekend, and it was in the 30s. It was a boiling hot day, and it was also the day that. Um, England won the Ashes in the cricket and it was just a brilliant, brilliant pre-match build-up. Um, Spurs' new stadium, the way they've got it designed is just phenomenal. You walk in there and there's this huge area open with beers from a local craft brewery. They've got loads of good food on, they've got all the sports on. As I said, they had the cricket on. The atmosphere was bouncing, the Newcastle fans when. When England won the ashes, that was it. I mean, it just absolutely went off. So even I wish going into the, in the ashes, stadium. Mate.
1: I wish we won the ashes. what, what a test match.
4: It was test match. Was Sorry, ashes. I got it. It was a test match, not the ashes. Um but uh, it was um it was just a phenomenal uh, atmosphere. And going into the stadium, obviously safe standing as well. So just just brilliant to be in that kind of in that kind of atmosphere with, with just everyone standing up that you've got like you got enough space in between you to kind of have a jump around. Uh, the stadium itself is beautiful, the noise just carries around it. It was it was absolutely brilliant. And we had the um the orange strip on as well, the tangerine dream, which I love. And and we won 1-0. And also we won 1-0 with I would say our best team goal of the season. And one of the best team goals we've scored in a long time. It was yeah, if you look at that goal over and over again, it was absolutely brilliant goal. And and who would have known at that point that Joelinton wasn't gonna, you know, go on and bang in fifteen goals and be one of the best Premier League strikers. <laughs> but um it was it was an absolutely perfect day. I will count it with saying that. Chris and I were getting the train back um, and we did say this is going to be the exception so we have to really lap it up because I can't see us putting many both performances in like this. And to be honest with you, regardless of the good victories that we had, I genuinely don't believe that we did put in a performance as good as that Spurs one again. might be a bit controversial saying that but it was, it was, it was an almost perfect performance.
1: I think we might have had the, one of the lowest ever possession stats in the Premier League. Since to began on that game, I might be wrong. Ah, But but this is the
4: thing, isn't it? That This is the thing. It was that performance, to me, it, I'm going to bring up the R word again, but you know those are weird performances on a we got where it was just managed perfectly. Yes, let them have the ball. Let them dance around with the ball as much as they want, but keep them at arm's length, keep them 30 yards from the goal and let them have a few pot shots. And that's what they did. And we just played really, really well. And... Um, as I say, the day. The day was fantastic. It was it was it was a kind of a weird performance that I love. And um, God, it seems like a long, long time ago. In fact, it, it's nearly a year, isn't it?
1: It is. It was. Uh, it was an unbelievable sporting day. Like I've just said, yeah. we had twenty twenty percent in possession that day. Which I mean, who cares if you if you're going to win the game? Um, then great. But yeah, I, I think you, you and Chris got a spot on there, without being the exception uh, to the rule. I'll do mine really quickly because I'm keen to kind of progress things. But I. Funnily enough, uh, probably the Southampton game at home, purely because it's so rare to come from behind in the Premier League and win, and it's it's a brilliant feeling. Um, And I'm going to put my cards on the table now. Listeners might disagree. I think giving Andy Carroll another contract after 21 appearances and no goals is mental. Is mental. Considering that Joe Linton is definitely going to be here next season. Carroll is definitely going to be here next season. Reporting to Bruce today, Gale is definitely going to be here next season. Um which we're, we're just we're just planning to score no goals again. But anyway, that game, Andy Carroll came on and and changed a football match in a way that I've not seen a single player do um in a long, long time. It was just he he just terrified. Southampton should have been miles out of sight. Miles out of sight. They played better than us, they played better football, they were better. Um Martin Dubravka like he did almost on a weekly basis at that point, pulled off a series of one-on-one saves, particularly against Nathan Redmond where I think it hit the underside of Bruyne's arse and bounced over the bar. That just looked like 2-0 and game over. Deservedly game over. And, and Annie Carroll comes on and just, just Southampton just can't deal with him. And I think it was the lowest crowd of the season, possibly like 42,000 lowest crowd since 2011 when we played Fulham and 1-2-1 in a Pardew. Um... And I don't know, Car Carol coming on and striking fear into fellow grown adults like he did on a football pitch, just completely electrified the stadium for one of the few times this season. And we'll win the game, John Joe Shelby's header, and then then Fernandez in the last minute or something in the eighty seventh minute. And it's just one of the few times this season where I kind of bounced out of the ground. Um thinking that was that was absolutely mint. Um but on that point, you know, I talked about wasted opportunities after winning that game so so comfortably. We um <laughs> we we went to Burnley, didn't we, Charlotte? The following week. And <laughs> it, it was it, for me it was kind of just a game <laughs> that was a disgrace. You had a, a much worse experience, did you not, overall? I mean why why don't I I'm gonna assume this is your worst game of the season, but you could tell me if I'm wrong.
2: No, it definitely is. It definitely, definitely is. I'm sorry if you're from Burnley, but it's an awful place. And I hate it. And I hated, <laughs> I hated it so much. Getting away from Burnley was a nightmare. I, Alex, I had been in Newcastle. Alex and I drove over. Um, it was beautiful drive through the dales. Lovely. Um, <laughs> and um, didn't really. Don't know. I think we felt like that was there for the taking. That Burnley match, really, didn't we? Like, I think we're pretty positive ninth. when we went and. Yeah, yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. That's right. We were we were in the top half of the table. Felt like this is an, uh, this is an easy win. It was snowing. It's an awful ground. The away end is made of, it's a tiny little tin shed. It feels like it's going to collapse. Um the snow it was kind of hailing, like a snow and hail. So it was really loud on the tin roof. Um and uh and yeah, and it was just it was just an awful game of football like it was it was awful <laughs> and then I tried to get back to London after I had a train to take me to Leeds or something and then I was yeah it was Leeds and then I was going and the train got delayed because somebody a Newcastle fan apparently was was racist to somebody so the police got on at one of the so it was a little like local train that stop loads that was taking us to Leeds and the police got on, and and it was really crowded, and it was, oh, God, it was just a horrible time. And then I missed my connection to London, and I was like, oh, it's not a big deal. There's other trains. But there weren't. So I had to get, uh, stayed on the train to York. This is becoming boring. But basically, I ended up back in Newcastle about six hours after Alex had arrived back after the worst game of football. (laughs) And I was just so miserable. And I'd had to get the train with people like, getting on just at the Christmas parties like you know in 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 one man had a horrible Christmas jumper on that was covered in brown sauce <laughs> so he stank and he stood next to me. Just to be clear <laughs> listeners,
1: Charlotte was supposed to be on a train to London and ended up in your castle six hours after yeah, I had driven back was... to Newcastle, castle. Um and stayed in a hotel. I
2: should have just Oh God uh,
1: are you... in Burnley I will no, really, no, I went back. really quickly but, Yeah, I know because it's my worst game. That's classic example. No, I'm just going to like, I want to hear yeah. from the lads, but um, that game was, to me, the problems with Newcastle United this season embodying that game. We were playing a Burnley side who'd conceded like 13 goals in the last three. They were in free fall and we went there, we played Carroll up front. We ended up with Muto, Carroll and Gale all on the pitch for the last five minutes in a, you know, in kind of, it was the first game I think where, he played Joe Linton on the left, not the last game, shockingly. After you know, We'll talk about Joe Linton later. We'll, we'll have to talk about Joe Linton later. Um, and it was just like, <laughs> I just felt like, why have I come? Do you know what I mean? Like, we've we've turned up, we're full of confidence, we're ninth in the league, we're playing the, the league's worst team form-wise, although Burnley have proved they're a decent side, finished top ten. And we basically got beat by the wind. But we we just didn't even try, we didn't, we didn't have any shots, we didn't have any chances. I think Jerry Williams might have got injured. Um, and it was just like, what what, what was the game plan? You know, there are some games where you play badly. It doesn't go well. You concede nearly goal. Or the other team just play well. Burnie didn't play well in that game. Burnie didn't play well at all. Yet we were no. still, at best, only going to get a point against a very bad team. And this was supposed to be us at our best, ninth in the league. The manager should have had the players... Well up for the game. Listen, lads, get into these. Press them high. They are shot in terms of their confidence. They can't defend. And what did we do, we just kind of just played long balls up to Andy Carroll and Joe Linton fell over a lot. And then that was it. We went home and it was like, all right, yeah, we're still shite. Norman, your worst game?
4: Leicester City away. Um, It would have been easy to just say Norwich, but in terms of the genuine misery, the Leicester game made me angry. And as I say, it um, kind of set me up for the rest of the season, but the Leicester game away, I mean, dear me, on a Sunday as well. Um Sunday at I think it was a four when there was four thirty kickoffs that half hour man when that half hour when you lose makes such a massive difference. Um there and back in the day. And I think one of the big issues was the previous two seasons trips to Leicester's had just been absolutely fantastic. They were brilliant the season that um we won 2 1, you know, Shelby and Perez scored. And then even better the season later, the TV game on a Friday night, which was just a phenomenal day out, staying overnight, um having a few drinks in town. What's that?
3: All time One of the all-time great away days that Norman.
4: Like, no no two ways about it. It was it was one of my favourite experiences as a Newcastle fan. It was just phenomenal. Um and then going there to Leicester away and just being utterly obliterated, like truly hammered. The game plan, there was no game plan. Kraft was in it right back. It was just, it was a genuinely embarrassing performance. Um, and obviously, uh, we left that stadium just thinking, well, this is it. And I think, I think even Bruce himself after that was shocked at how bad the performance had been. And yeah, the train back London was was a long and torturous journey. That's no disrespect to Sean O'Reilly, I'm sure has listened to this podcast. Sean had a brilliant day with you. I'll take that out of the equation. Um, but yeah, it was a, uh, it was just a genuinely, genuinely miserable day. And obviously, seeing seeing Ayusia Perez in Leicester's colours as well you know a Perez who'd been such an influential player in both those previous games, um, playing so well for Leicester was just a kind of you know it was the icing on the third cake, really. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. The turd cake
4: <laughs> That's what it was, it was just a big turd cake
1: Mickey, same question mate
3: God. Turd cake is unbelievable um, It, it describe, describes the game I'm going to talk about really well as well Actually, um, I, I want to talk about the, the Norwich at home game um, oh. so By this point Norwich were well established You know, it, It's about six weeks before lockdown um, Norwich were really well established as like the shocking team this season they were bottom of the league, awful, and we played them at home and just did absolutely nothing for the entire game i've looked up the, I looked up the stats when I was researching this podcast just to see what it was actually like, And it, it, it claims that we had five shots and three on target and i just I just dispute that like <laughs> so strongly because it was such a bad game like, it was one of those ones where you go. And, like, nobody sings. You, you stand there, basically don't talk to anyone, and then you leave the match, and it's just like, what on earth was the point in that? Like, it was absolutely turgid from start to finish. The worst team in the league have come to St. James's Park and had more possession, more shots, and more shots on target. And it's, it's ran out a nil-nil draw. The worst of it, though, was, I don't know if you remember, but we took Maximan off with about 15 minutes to go and, and put a defender on. I can't remember who it was. And it, it was just like... It was one of those moments where you just think, like the manager has literally stopped trying to win at home against the worst team in the league. Like, what, what, what do we even bother for? Like, what, what do we spend our lives following this football team for when that is the decision that happens with 15 minutes left in a home game against the worst team in the league? It just utterly, it makes it utterly pointless. And I, I remember coming away from the ground that day just so disillusioned, and just thinking, like, we, we are wasting the prime years of our lives. About fellow podcasters, we are in the prime of our lives at the minute, and we spend up the majority of our time talking about and going to Newcastle United games where we don't even try and beat Norwich at home. It's just pathetic, and uh, like, uh, you know, it, it makes you not want to. It makes you not want to bother. It's that kind of game that's so bad. You know, you look. I, I'm thinking back and looking back at the like disgusting performances that were had under Carver and McLaren and Pardew, and it was at least as bad as those. And I, I never thought, you know, once we finally were rid of McLaren, you never thought again that we would be looking at a performance that was that shocking. And, <laughs> and, and here, here we are again. So I just, it, it's as bad as it could possibly be. I, I, don't, I don't even want to reflect on it anymore. It was that bad. It was at a bit
1: for you, Um What you've just said there is a great example of looking beyond the context and looking at individual games and how they made you feel as a fan. Because I'll say it again. This season, in the context of what was expected from a lot of fans, uh, what was assumed was going to happen, this season has been fine. It pains it, it me to say it, but the season has been fine. No relegation battle, little bit of a cup run, not had to spend huge amounts of money. Um, I, I, it kills me that this is the version of Newcastle United that it's become. But this, you know, Steve, you know, Steve Bruce is under no threat of being sacked. Fans aren't really calling for him, if you ignore the table for a second, to be sacked. But, but everything wrong with what I've just said is reflected in that game again. How it makes you feel, and the fact that out of Norwich, Watford, and Aston Villa, the teams that finished twentieth, eighteenth, and seventeenth this season, we took zero wins from those games, and they're all really, 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 really bad at football, and we couldn't beat any of them. And not only could we beat them, Norwich, Norwich, like embarrassed us twice, Villa embarrassed us. And um, and Watford <laughs> were basically seemingly through through the game against Watford with the subs. Um, and I suppose uh, you know, maybe that kind of feeds into one of the things you wanted to talk about and your your ultimate frustrations with the team's performances. And I know you definitely, particularly in terms of the stories of the season, you feel that that kind of Christmas New Year New Year period was was critical to how you view the team this season. So, do you want to talk to us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, doing Just to give you a bit of context on it, um, we, go into, we go into the Christmas festivities. Um, d- uh, you know, Christmas Day, ninth in the league, ninth in the league, which is way ahead of what anyone thought was ever going to be possible. And you know, when you look at you look at the actual table and you see we're ninth in the league, but we've got a goal difference of minus six. It does make you think then that it's maybe a slightly false position. But you know, ignoring that, we go into this. Uh, we go into this like congestion of fixtures which is the greatest period in any football fan's life by the way Christmas period where game after game after game including Boxing Day and New Year's Day or New Year's Eve depending on which way it falls for you it's, a, it's, it's the best thing ever um, <laughs> you're going you go in, in ninth and one of those games the Boxing Day game which me and Charlotte went down and we drove down um, is against Man United who were at the time on the same points as us and, and they were shocking as well they were terrible if you forget before before Fernandez started playing basically on his own for them, they were they were awful. And we were on, we were on the same points as him, like do, doing quite well. And then you go you go down on Boxing Day, takes us ages to go down. Obviously, like not not the most favourable person in the family for bailing on everyone on Boxing Day to go down and watch Newcastle at Old Trafford. Um, and then and then also scoring first and and taking the lead at Old Trafford, Matty Longstaff again against Man United. And then after that, just, just not trying to win at all. It was another one of these, you know, I, I, it's harshness, but like a typical Bruce performance of of getting something that kind of slightly against the odds and just not building on it at all. And we're doing, doing the total opposite. And we're, we're absolutely fluffed our lines after that game. And I think we we had something pathetic, like 24% possession against Man United away, which not it's not unheard of, but it was worse than that when you were there. Like it was... We, we we couldn't get out of the box. We couldn't make a single pass. You, we never looked like doing anything again, other, other than Gale missing an absolute sitter, not for the first time in the season and not for the last time in the season, I'm afraid, um, which might have changed the game again. But, you know, we, we'll get beat, get beat 4-1 away at Man United and, and probably a deserved result for that Um for that game on Boxing Day, and you just think, "Oh, we're in we're in a bit of trouble here because it was a, it was a reasonably tough run of games. In the middle of that, you've got Everton at home, and that's a winnable game because Everton this year, and for many years in fact, have been have been a poor Premier League side. And you lose two one, and but you don't just lose two one; you lose two one in terrible, terrible fashion. And you know it, it, it's. At that point, you're thinking, like, Christ, where do, where do we go from here? Well, we're ninth. You're plummeting down the table, and you've got Leicester coming. Leicester coming to St James's Park on New Year's Day. Leicester, who are in a magnificent form, title contender, supposedly. If you listen to the press all the way through the first half of the season, it never it never came to that, obviously, because they're not quite there. But at the time, they were one of the one of the real form teams. They come to St James's Park on New Year's Day. Everyone's buzzing for it. Everyone always is buzzing for it for a New Year's Day game at St James's Park because everyone's still a bit pissed from the night before. Me, me, and Alex and a, a few others had been at one of our best mates' wedding the night before, which was brilliant. Turn up with the match, mixture of hungover and drunk, and and put in w- w- one of the worst performances Newcastle have put in in years, and, and and Leicester were so much better than us. And I think they played pretty well as well, but they were so far ahead of us that game could have been fifteen nil and it wouldn't have been undeserved for Leicester. <laughs> And, and you find yourself, you know, like seven days later from being ninth, we're 13th. And you're just looking down the table and it, and it only got worse from there. And it was, it's one of those, one of those periods in football that's always critical to every team. And I, I just feel like every year, Newcastle make an absolute mess of it and, and really cost ourselves a chance of, of progression. And, you know, three, three games in six days and we, we concede nine goals. Nine goals and score twice. What's I mean, how? How could?
2: It's very stark when you put it and like how that. How can isn't you ever, it? Pro-
3: ever progress when that's the kind of form that you can you can throw out there at the, like the crucial point in the season? And you know after that we then we then roll into the cup games and draw not, at Watchfield which Alex and and Cy went to and what it seemed like a bit of momentum because remember before for that Man United game would we'll be Palace at home where Almiron scored his first goal, finally, and everyone, you know, Alex, you mentioned before one of those moments where everyone bounces out out of the ground, like, everyone bounced out of the ground that day as well, not because of the match, but because Almiron scored and everyone was so desperate for him to score, so it carries a bit of that momentum that we had in the, the games before Burnley. It brings a bit of that momentum back and you go into that festive period again thinking thinking positively rather than negatively like we, we may have if, if we hadn't had that game after Burnley and it, you just get like, Shot back down like like Newcastle United are so good at shot back down to the absolute bottom, the pit of despair that football causes in our lives, and that that those three games are you know for me the the absolute epitome of this season. It's quite really, an incredible
1: stat that we were on the same points as Man United um, on that game and went one 0 And it's funny, isn't it? Because I assume they were after Bentaleb as well, but they got Fernandez, and look how the seasons went for both teams. <laughs> two, two midfield players <laughs> making an impact on Newcastle United we've done an hour and we've got a little bit to get through as we talk through this, this season of ours um, I'm going to go totally in a different direction now Norman and I, I want to talk to you about a player who who you actually called this pretty early on both on and off air uh, wasn't good enough and that's Joe Linton there's a lot of things that have been said about Joe Linton but will you say some more for us?
4: First of all, I just want to say that I'm really sad it hasn't worked out because obviously it had taken Newcastle so long when I make Ashley to break that transfer record for Michael Owen. Almirón, you know, 20 million in Premier League terms isn't much money, but for us it was just a, it was brilliant. It was brilliant for us as fans to actually have that record broken at last and obviously Almirón has put in some great performances. And then Joe Linton comes in for basically twice the amount of money that we paid for Almirón, And... You look at his career statistics and you think, well, you know what? It's, he hasn't kind of lit up anywhere, but there's obviously something about him. He's a young Brazilian. He's played for Hoffenheim in the Champions League. He's played under Nagelsmann. He, he must be decent. And given how tight, Mike Ashley has been with the purse strings over the years, the fact that he's allowed he sanctioned this £40 million deal, there must be something about this kid. And then in pre-season, I remember a couple of um, the other true faith uh, lads and lasses, seeing that he looked good in, in pre-season friendlies. I think and he put in a good performance. Uh, Hibbs, he put in a good performance. So I think we were all kind of hopeful. And, you know, he did well. He got, he got that goal against Spurs. And I think maybe this will work, maybe this will work. But even, even then, you're watching him thinking, what is it that he's got? What is it? What's that one or two, or that one or two things that he's got that make him a £40 million pound player? And I couldn't see anything there. And then he just got progressively worse. Um, he wasn't given much in the way of support or you not know, anyone alongside him. But we, we talked about last season, Almiron comes in and straight away he's playing alongside Rondon and um, and Perez to establish Premier League performers who speak the same language as him. Joel Linton's chucked in so I completely understand why it would take him a while to settle. So again, you're thinking, OK, he just needs time to settle. He needs to adapt the Premier League. He needs to adapt the systems. He needs to um, better his language levels. you know, He needs to get know the, the people around him, the English style of play, et cetera, et cetera. But then, He doesn't improve. And actually, it's not that he doesn't even improve. It's that he he gradually gets, well, he looks worse. And it gets to the point where he's on the pitch. And it's actually counterproductive. It's almost like we'd be better off having 10 players on the pitch than having him on as the 11th. Um, And I think the Everton performance at home, I believe, was it the Everton performance? Um, Or possibly even the Bournemouth performance, the 2-1 win, where he was playing, but he was just terrible. He, He couldn't control the ball. He couldn't get into the right positions, you know, for a centre forward, he didn't know where to, he didn't know where to make runs in the box, he just offered nothing, and I I hate to say it, but I I really don't see any way back for, for Joel as a Premier League footballer, I hate to say it, because he's a young kid, and you know, it's not his fault, there's a £40 million tag on his head, Um, it's not his fault, all this expectations on him, but at the same time, I can't, you know, describe what I'm seeing in front of my eyes, in a different way, I, I think, 40 million with absolutely and utterly Newcastle United have been well and truly done by Hoffenheim paying 40 million pounds. Um, and I want to see him improve, I want to see him get better. I just don't think it's going to be the Premier League, and especially not with Newcastle United.
3: Such a shame in it? like, it's everything It's everything we ever dreamed of at Newcastle, or certainly everything I ever dreamed of at Newcastle, having having like a luxury Brazilian striker. You know, I, I, I grew up obviously all of us at the same roughly the same time with like prime prime peak proper Ronaldo, like the real Ronaldo, of being like the absolutely head and shoulders best player in the world, best striker in the world, best striker the world's ever seen. And since then, I was always fascinated about Brazilian strikers and it's just, it just like Brazilian strikers are just the best strikers, just purely because of Ronaldo. And ever since then, I've always been desperate for Newcastle to have a, have a Brazilian striker. And then we'll spend £40 million pounds on Joe Linton. And I didn't know anything about him, nothing at all about him. But I was so excited. Like, I was so excited. It literally took me back to my childhood of thinking, like, Newcastle gonna have a brilliant Brazilian striker. Like, I can get a, a you know, at different times, if it wasn't Ashley, I could I could buy a Newcastle shirt and get Jolinton on the back, and I could get a Brazil shirt and have Jolinton on the back because he's placed on Newcastle. Like it was that kind of like childish excitement about, about a Brazilian striker. I had a couple of that. We've doubled our, as you say, we've we've doubled our transfer record on this player, and then he turns up and he's terrible. It's like crushing, like crushing a childhood dream in me. And it was it was really a really bitter blow when I finally kind of accepted that Joe Jolinton wasn't wasn't going to do it. Now I do think, though, the caveat that I, I I think, well, at times people can be quite o- over the top in in their criticism on him, not because of his performances, but because. In any other team, any other decent side or decently run football club in the Premier League, you don't buy a striker from the continent and chuck them in and get them to play basically on their own up front with no one else within 30 yards of them in the Premier League when they're young and expect them to deliver straight away and play them game after game after game after game after game. And that's carried on basically until the last three games of the season where he's played you know, near enough every minute. It just doesn't happen for other teams. And you, you look around... Look around other clubs. When they've brought players in from the continent, they tend to let them bet in over the course of a season and learn learn their trade, learn the way that they're going to do it. And maybe things could have gone differently for Julian if, if if we had done that. I suspect probably not, and think he's maybe maybe not maybe just he's just not good enough, you know. But but it might have turned out differently if he if he had been developed as a player instead of just expected to be brilliant straight away. Um, and I've said this on a podcast previously, I, I just don't think he's getting coached on how to be a Premier League striker at Newcastle. I, I, I don't think our coaching setup is good enough or in-depth enough that they've got someone telling them what to do. You know, I, I think at another, I, I say again, another properly run football club in the Premier League, if they'd spent that kind of money on a striker and it wasn't wasn't working for him, they would bring someone in, a special, like a world specialist, one of the best strikers ever, and just get them at work with you, in the train and get them, Get him turning and shooting like time after time after time after time. Get him holding the ball up against, against Premier League center half. Work on him as a player and as an individual because he's such a key part of our team. And I just don't think that's happened. I reckon over the last nine months, I reckon Julian's just taken his part in, 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 in Newcastle's normal training. There's not been any kind of specific development based on him.
2: I think... Um... You're forgetting though Mickey that we did get him a translator <laughs> around Christmas time.
4: Wasn't he a German translator? So
2: <laughs> wasn't you that, can't say wasn't it, nothing. Wasn't there a German translator
4: him. that brought in from Austria?
2: <laughs> um I just wanted to make the very quick point of Joel Linton signing didn't it excite me in the same way that it excited you Mickey because it was it was almost done like like under the radar, like when we signed Amiran, there were pictures. There was, all this, there was quite a bit of fanfare, um, you know. And then, and then we, and then Joe, the Joe Linton deal getting done was like, "Is this? Is this? Are we signing? Are we signing this guy?" Oh, we, ha- we have, oh, we have. Oh, we have, we have. We've got some pictures now. Okay. And they were like training ground pictures or like empty. You know, it was just a really strange thing for me. I remember thinking, like, "We've we've broken our, We've doubled broke. Now transfer transfer." Code. I don't understand how, how so little that's is being were, made of were this. Talking about it and about then seven months
3: before the bottom, though, that they were going to buy him. We all knew it was coming, didn't we? From like January last year. Yeah. This year.
2: Well, yeah, but yeah, he wasn't wanted, though, was he? By uh, the manager at the time. Anyway, we don't need to. Joe Linton has been a colossal failure. <laughs> I, <laughs> and all... it's not all his fault, but that's Con- the,
1: Con- the point of it.
3: that I've just said. Though it is, it is mostly Joe Linton's fault. No, I, I, done, I, I
1: don't. He doesn't help himself. You know, um, he, yeah. he he's so bad. He has his own conspiracy theory um, yeah. amongst a lot of Newcastle fans. I know, independent of each other, that there's something in his contract that he has to play. He has to get minutes. I don't think he hasn't played a game this season. I think he's. <laughs> if he, if on the rare occasion he's a sub, he get he inexplicably gets brought on. This this um, nonsense about him being a left winger. Norman, you had you had Keith on the pro view um, on Patreon, and, and you put the Keith. <laughs> you know, if uh, you know, you, you talked about Joe Litton potentially being a winger, and and Keith is is a great bloke, and I love the fact he comes on the show and, and talks to Newcastle fans, um, and you know he, he gave a really difficult, diplomatic answer, but, but listener, picture Keith Gillespie, and picture Joe Litton and point out the winger because Julian is not a winger. He doesn't have the pace, for, he can't cross. He can't sometimes he can beat a man cutting inside. You know how to play on the wing. Mm. And then this idea that he's he's the, he's he's on the left of a 4-3-3, like he's gone from Brazil, you know, clubs there to Austria or wherever he was to Germany only playing on the left side of a 4-3-3 and even if that was true, even if that was true, what the fuck didn't anyone at Becast United think, hang on lads. He only plays this very, very specific position um, where he's no good. And the bloke doesn't run. You know, He comes on against Liverpool on Sunday, run about, press, run. You, you, you've, got, you've got 50 minutes here, mate. There's no more games yeah. after this. Like, you're on holiday after this. Run, run at their players. Run with the ball, jump. He just doesn't do it. And, and I'm the same as you, Norman. I'm really sad to turn out this way. I went a lot of this season thinking that... You know, if Wolves had signed him, he would be a good player. Um, you know, so a team that creates chances, he could have got a couple of goals. Um, if he'd if he'd maybe signed for, uh, you know, someone like Arsenal, and not as a first teamer, but as, as someone who could come off the bench and influence games and grow into the league. But I now don't think that I just don't think he's good enough, and it it scares me that next season, if there's n- no takeover, probably there's so little time now before next season that um. That, that he's going to play in nearly all of our games next season. And I, I go back to the Bournemouth game away from home when Newcastle played really well and were tactically spot on and, and Steve did everything right that game and deserve all the credit that came his way for that game. Julian was still terrible and the amount that he passes the ball backwards when played in in attacking positions is it, it's really detrimental to the team to the extent I think that his teammates don't want to pass to him in certain situations which probably doesn't help. And another thing, and this, this is really harsh, but he he can't. He falls over. The, the amount of times he come on the pitch, particularly on the bench, and fall over when there's none of the player in ten yards of him, like it's <laughs> it, it, it's become an embarrassment, and it's almost one of those things that Newcastle fans don't talk about anymore. He's so bad at football, and and he's 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 going to get another thirty eight games next season. And I don't care what anyone says, it, it, it rubs off. A, his teammates know. His teammates know. Um, you know, and every time, you know, the goal against Spurs, the goal against Sheffield United, it has it has bred zero change in how he plays and zero change in his confidence. It just it just hasn't happened and it won't happen for Newcastle. Would love to be proved wrong in this one. But um the the scary thing is um whoever signed him and scouted him at Newcastle United is still there. Whoever took that decision is still there and still making the calls and the players. Whoever thought, you know what, this this lad is going to be an absolute hit in England. Bear in mind, we, you know, if we've signed him for 40 million, we've assumed he's going to be worth 60 to 80 million when we sell him on in a couple of years' time. And <laughs> you know, if you got if you got 600 quid for now, you, you'd do well. Um, just he's just he's just not good enough. If he's not good enough for the Premier League. Norman, I think you said it before. Get him Turkey. you I mean, get him in Turkey, be all right. Belgium, Belgium, Julian and Belgium will get 11 to 13 goals a season from the left of a 4-3-3, but it's not going to happen. Um, cast
3: Such a specific target you've given come,
1: there. Come back to us in, in the 20th <laughs> <laughs> Come back <laughs> to France, you might get nine in France. In Belgium. Um, you go, what do you get? Six in Germany? Six in the league, so, you know, you're...
4: <laughs> I but playing left winger, Alex. I've just clear. seen
1: Norman Notes on the podcast and you've got hyperinflation like the Weimar Republic. If I missed something...
4: <laughs> well, we might get £60 million from if hyperinflation kicks off in the next two years. But it'll only be worth, grand. Only be worth 50 grand.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to collect the money in the morning so that we can um, buy our right, bread.
1: To get this back on track.
2: Before the price goes up. This is the it. season
1: review. That was Jordan's season review right there. If anyone disagrees, you. <laughs> G- genuinely, we're going to have a show next week, hopefully, where we'll have some some fans of Steve Bruce and Joby's stone We're going to have that conversation between us. Um, I had a lot to say about tax.
3: You're, you're scraping the barrel to get a, a fan of Joe Linton to come on the podcast. So, like, surely there's no one. The translator.
1: The tra- Joe Linton? Yeah. With it Put in German with the translator. So he'll talk in Brazilian. <laughs> it'll be translated to German. <laughs> Portuguese, sorry.
2: In Brazilian.
1: Do
3: you, reckon do, you reckon <laughs> do you reckon they've got two translators for him? One to go. Uh, I was going to do it as well. I was going to say Brazilian. Oh, yeah, man. One to go Portuguese to German, then German to English. Oh, that was my point. To have two.
1: But but anyway, I mean, very quickly one of one of the quotes of the season. <laughs> and There's been a few from Steve Bruce. Is when he's after he scored against Sheffield United, he was like he's been stuck up there in that apartment, and you're like, oh, you know, is he is being at the top of a high rise biker, you know, where the lift you know has to wait 20 minutes for the lift and that and carrying shopping up and down the stairs for old women <laughs> who can't who can't get out during the pandemic. No, he's been in a luxury penthouse apartment overlooking the river time. Um, Steve Bruce bringing that into the conversation of what's football ability possibly part of the problem. Um, <laughs> moving on, I was going to talk about tactics, but we're, we're already, you know, an hour and 15 in. And, you know, really quickly, unless anyone wants to say anything else on the tactics, they've, they've primarily been shocking all season. One thing Steve Bruce did, right? One thing, and I have respect for him. I've talked about this in the podcast. I got a load of shit on Twitter when I, after the Burnley game when I said, you know what? We haven't beaten Burnley. It was 9-0 at home, but god it was better than has been recently. People were like, No, it's still shit, it's still not good enough. And he has said that the players could not play anything other than the back five. And he had to go into the train he had to go into training after we lost to Crystal Palace away, and he had to say to the lads, right, lads, I know I've publicly said you can't do this, but I need you to do this. So he had to do that. And after that game, Newcastle picked up, I think, eleven points from the next six games. Which is nearly two points a game, which which is like gets you Champions League spot in terms of the fixtures, and then decided to change it back for the end of the season where we lost four and five, and I appreciate that we've had injuries, but I have to think like what's the worst that could have happened? Like if we played four at the back against Spurs at home, what's the worst that could have happened? Because we got beat anyway and conceded three goals. And I find that incredibly frustrating. But unless anyone's got anything else to add on that, we might leave that for an overall tactical review on patron for the rest of the season. Um, I just want to finish off on this season by doing some end-of-season awards, pretty basic stuff. quick-fire rounds, so only a couple of sentences on each. We'll start with Player of the Year. Charlotte, I want you to tell us your Player of the Year, please.
2: Um oh it's gonna be a big surprise for everyone. It's Martin Dubravka. Um but it's uh, very close. Um second would be ASM, which I'm sure somebody else will pick up on. But um you know you see a lot of stats about Martin Dubravka. Um he won, I think, player of the year. Newcastle United gave him that, so he's he's already got some silverware to uh so he can add his true faith trophy to his cabinet. But um for me, yeah, I think he's just integral. I think with him and Lascelles at the back, organisation is excellent. Um, you know that some stats that he that he does he does make some um, pretty big mistakes, and that that is true. Um, it's true of any goalkeeper in the league, um, and I think it's also true that he has to work harder than most goalkeepers in the league. I, I think it's true that he has to work harder. I think you know we play a lot of our. Football in our box, so he, he does have to work a lot harder than possibly other goalkeepers in the league, especially towards the top of the table. So um, it's it's him for me.
4: Dubravka, um, I'm not saying Dubravka, but I'm going to go different because Charlotte had Dubravka. But you're right on Dubravka, he faces more shots, therefore he's going to make <laughs> more mistakes. You know, he can't be criticised for his mistakes at all. He's been incredible, yeah. no two ways about it. Um, but for me, I'm not going to go down the SM route, even though he's been amazing. I'm going to say Ferdi Fernandez. Um,
1: oh, I was going to say him. <laughs>
4: Do you, want to, do you want to just stop recording and we'll let it out and I'll try someone else? <laughs> um, it's all about you, isn't it? Um, well, uh, Fernandes has just been... He's he come in from the cold, really. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't kind of anywhere near the other team. Um, at the start of the season, he came in and he just performed like an absolute lion, I think. I think with Bruce, you know, we saw Shane Lejeune last season play fantastically well, bringing the ball out of defence, comfortable, can put in a pass, you know, can... Can anticipate, can can do things that you know yeah, let's say um, a quotes yeah typical English centre half can't do. Um, whereas under Bruce, because the system changed, we needed two traditional centre halves. Lascelles has obviously one. Freddy Fernandez is you other. Know, he's an absolutely brilliant. He's been absolutely brilliant, and um, it's just been good to see him do it because he he comes across as being a a really likable bloke as well.
1: Yeah, I've not got loads to add, but I think that the fact that he was basically relegated to sixth choice um behind Lascelles, Dummett, Clark, Lejeune and Shah were all in the pecking order ahead of him at the start of the season for those black um, back three slots. And you know, he wasn't he wasn't even getting on the bench. And when he was called upon to come in like he did and put in the performances, he's he's miles away from me, Jamal LaSelles's um partner in a back four now and I I never thought I'd say that at the start of the season. He's just I think one of the things I like about him, he, he just never has a bad game, he's consistent at this level. And the, I mean, even the Celsius have had bad games this season. I just, I've never ever thought Fernandez is to anything else apart from what's required of him. And let's face it, him and his colleagues, defensive colleagues, have had a hell of a lot to do this season. Um, it might be strange to, to pick a defender for player of the season when we've got a minus 36 goal difference, or whatever it was, it wasn't that bad. But um, yeah, Norman, I'll agree with you on that one. Um, and that takes us to Michael Carlin.
3: I wanted to. Um, I wanted to see Fernandez as well. I think he's been absolutely excellent this season, and I, I was disappointed when he lost his place under Rafa. Um, he, he's just like a. You're absolutely right. He's a consistent centre half. You know, I, I play centre half to a terrible level, and like I, I really enjoy watching him play football because he's like absolute, like you know, he's like made, like a made out of granite centre half. Like, he just does all of the, like real basic things very well, and then never makes any glaring mistakes i love i love watching that in the center half and he- he's done it excellently so i w- i was um i was disappointed he just took him but i am happy that i i get the one that gets to uh wax lyrical about asm at the end of this podcast because he's been a an a revelation for newcastle united this season he's he's brought back some of the the joy in watching football that that otherwise has been a a huge miss for newcastle united this year he's the most talented player we've had in 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 a long 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 time. I think the the only person you could put on his level in terms of raw talent is is happened Ben and that's a divisive point anyway. Before that, you you're literally looking back as far as Peter Beardsley for someone that's as, as good on the ball and as good with his feet as as Maximan is. He, I I don't I don't quite know how we've, we've I don't know how we've bought him. You know, he's he's arrived at Newcastle for sixteen million quid, which is, in modern terms is basically free. We heard he might have had some attitude problems that couldn't be further from the truth. He's bought into the city. <clears throat> his his kids are constantly on Instagram in full, full Newcastle training kit. He's 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 got loads of flair about him, he wears flarry clothes, like everything about him is class and he, he's put in some some seriously, seriously good performances for Newcastle United and I I think it's gonna be a very sad day when we see him leaving. I think that could come sooner rather than later. The one thing the one thing on Max which um which needs to be pointed out is he can, he he plays football on his own. He's, he's a, he's a a pure and utter entertainer and he could, he could thrill in any side. So his, his performances and his contribution haven't been that negatively affected by the rest of the team. He's still entertained us. Imagine though, what he could do if, if the the rest of the lads around him were, were competent enough to, to, to contribute on the same level as him. Imagine what we could achieve.
4: I yeah uh, second your comments. I think yes. Um, look if you if you look at it in terms of statistics, um, what's he got? Four goals this season, I think. Um, and you know, and not tons and tons of assists. But oh my god, he is such a good player. He's technically magnificent. He's uh, an incredibly just just a gifted footballer. And um, I loved Ben I Don't get me wrong, but Max man, When Max Amann runs with a ball, like he just conjures up images of like the wingers that I loved watching when I was a kid, just, just flying past players, skinning them, getting in the box, taking shots from distance, you know, just, there's just something absolutely beautiful about watching him and, and watching him has been um, has been an absolute, uh, it, it, has, it has been the highlight of the season, I think, watching him, um, he's one of those players who, every time he gets the ball, regardless of how bad you as a team might be playing, he lifts you out of your seat. obviously, it fizzled out during the lockdown because he was just absolutely knackered and possibly carrying a knock in quite a few of the games he played, but um I uh, he's he's one of those players that I think if Newcastle United in its current state is going to be the foreseeable future then in order to develop his career he will have to move on and I think he will get a move as well. Um but I just genuinely hope that you know God forbid the takeout doesn't happen we get to see a full season of ESM next year because he will I think he'll be a light in a in a fairly dark place to be honest. He's one of
3: those players isn't he that like all the all the the young lads and, and girls that are playing football around Newcastle are all going to want to be him. When the, you know when you when you play football when you're like six, you're always, you're always you always you always bagsy. You want to be the best player. And like for years, Newcastle fans and Newcastle kids are going to have been picking players that play for other teams. But now we've got Maximan, and he's he's one of the ones that they'll pick. Like it's it, I, I love that. I think it's classy. One one of the most exciting players in the league plays for Newcastle. That's that's tremendous. My um, my my most disappointing player on um on on the opposite side of the spectrum this season has been um. Fabian Shaw, not just because of his performances, but um, but because because mm. of the, the way he's not been used as well. You know, the the team has turned into something um, into something different to what it was last season. That you know we we don't play football in the same way. We don't we don't require our centre halves to do the same thing. So. So Fabian Fabian Shaw maybe doesn't doesn't quite fit in the in the system that we've got anymore, which is which which is sad enough in its own right. But he should still have been able to contribute some in this season, and I think particularly over lockdown. But even even before that, I I I think I think Shaw has had a has had a very very bad year. Um, he's regressed hugely on on the play that he'd become last year, and I I, I was so chuffed with the way. He, broke into the side and ended of the season last year and he looked like he could be you know one, one of the one of the top center halves in the world possibly if he kept progressing at the same level as he was and he he's just gone so quickly the opposite way um uh, you know it, it is a it is a huge disappointment and for me for me that him as a as a player and as a a part of the squad has been the, the most disappointing
4: player for me well you know what mickey i i agree with you but I'm going to defend Shea um, in that when we signed him from Deportivo La Coruña, we, by way I mean true faith, we did an interview with a, a journalist who covered Deputivo La Coruña and he said that basically he's brilliant with the ball and he's feeding and run with it, he can put long-range passes in, but defensively, he needs a lot of coaching and micro-managing and Rafa Benitez is the perfect manager for him and we saw that. This season, um, he's been in and out of the side sporadically, he hasn't obviously responded to the coaching that he's getting um, and He's been parachuted in in games against Man City and centre midfield. So a, a lot of the disappointment that's come with Shea, I think, it's just been down to him being. And, and I'm I'm going to say it. He's been managed poorly. That a player of that talent has been managed poorly. A player who has those kind of obvious training ground needs hasn't gotten them. So he has been he has been a disappointment. But I think you know it's it's equally down to the coaching that he's getting as as, as well. Down to him as an individual. Um, but my my disappointment, I guess, ultimately. It has to be Joe Linton um, because he came in for £40 million and you think you're going to get something for that price and we've had literally nothing. So that's that's it, quite simple. I think Joe Linton's been the, the disappointment.
2: Well, I'm not going to have a disappointment um, because I, want, I thought we were going to end on a really positive note, people getting really excited about players and now we're like down again. Um Alex, uh, some technical difficulties mean that Alex can hear us, but we can't hear him. So I'm going to round us off here and say thank you so much for listening. We'd be very interested in your thoughts on the season on Twitter at TFNUFC, on Facebook, True Faith, uh, podcast and fanzine, I think. and of course, another plug for uh, our print fanzine, which is out uh, very shortly. Um, got a fantastic issue coming out, so do if you don't subscribe, please do, and uh, and or consider buying buying that one. Thanks so much for listening. Um, if you're still with us, I'm extremely impressed, and uh, and we'll be back very soon. Thank you so much.